0: Hi everyone,
1: welcome back to Sustainability Speaks, we're your hosts Anastasia and Saskia and on today's podcast we're very excited to welcome Jake Posner from No One True Anything. Um, Jake is an entrepreneur who launched a sustainable fashion brand with the mission to create real change and also create more opportunities for the neurodivergent community. Jake, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself and give us and the listeners a bit of an overview of who you are and your
2: brand? Sure. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, I mean, I, I started No One Anything really about 18 months ago now. Um, originally had the idea back in around 2019, but never had the the sort of opportunity to actually go and produce products. Um, I mean, I guess we will come on that more. And the brand is based around creating a different perspective around things. Um, it's made to not make sense. You know, when you sort of hear the name for the first time, you might think, why is it called that? It doesn't quite make sense, but that's due to dyslexia. Um, so sort of everything around the brand is, I, I think anyway, is thought around in a lot of depth. Um, and each part, I try and tell a story um, to each, to either each collection or the logo or whatever it might be.
0: Oh, thank you. So you did mention about um, having some challenges, which is why you only had the idea in 2019. Would you like to go into a bit more detail about those?
2: Sure. No problem. Um, so I had I, I knew an agent in Portugal and I reached out to her because I wanted to make in a location that is known for high end quality materials, known for high end quality uh, textiles as well as sustainability um so Portugal was sort of like my go-to um I already knew that a lot of well-known high-end brands are making in Portugal so I sort of wanted to follow suit and really have that uh that sort of ethos from the beginning um, so I reached out to her and I went to meet her and she introduced me to some of her contacts in manufacturing within Portugal and I was sort of to and fro with the idea and also saying what I wanted to create and the volume that I wanted to create in and at the time the manufacturers wouldn't work with me I didn't have the budget to be able to produce in high enough quantity Um, and these manufacturers are working with some very very well-known brands so the orders are, are much bigger from them and they just didn't have the time or the space for me which was unfortunate and I never really had a proper plan as to how I was going to tell the story or how the brand was going to sort of come into the market. Um, And it was one night in 2021 where I had a dream that I started this brand. And I woke up the next morning on the Saturday. I remember it so well. And I got back on my phone, got onto my computer, and I was like, this needs to happen. Um, And I wrote the name of the brand down in my phone uh, while I was half awake and it just sort of all stemmed from there um I reached back out to to the la- to the lady in Portugal and she said look let me see what I can do for you you've probably got a good timing now because of the pandemic all of smaller manufacturers don't know where they're going what's going to happen next um and that was sort of my chance and I thought you know what it's now or never I'm just going to throw myself into it and see where I go.
1: Your journey has certainly been very interesting in terms of how you started the brand um I think it would also be very interesting to hear um how being dyslexic and perhaps what you experienced due to your dyslexia shaped your brand's mission because I know that that is something very important to you,
2: yeah, I mean, so what you'll see is I guess the first the first sort of part of the dyslexia being visible within the brand is the name um so no one or anything, like I said, like you hear it, it doesn't quite make sense um. And our uh, and our slogan is no one sense made nonsense. So it's essentially like nonsense with a slash in the middle to break it down to be nonsense. Um, so that all stems from dyslexia. And then if you look at my uh, if you look at my um, my my debut collection as well. So the key branding within the debut collection that's hyphenated. Um, and the reason it's hyphenated is because that is how my mind spells and writes words it breaks it into syllables so essentially debut is, is a syllable uh, it's broken down into two syllables to represent the debut collection um, and that is sort of the big the big parts of the dyslexia playing playing its role within my brand um, and you know with dyslexia I feel like while well, I mean I'm, I can talk for myself here I don't know about any other people with dyslexia but for myself when dyslexia allows me to look at things in a different way it allows me to create different views on things you know I'm not a sort of a, a straightforward thinker where I can sort of look at numbers and just work it out you know I'd always like to find the story I always like to find a narrative and I always like to tell a story behind things that's just how my brain works and again I guess that's something to sort of the dyslexia.
0: Would you say that this has also shaped your brand's mission?
2: The dyslexia probably has because i sort of my sister i remember my sister coming home from school when i was probably like 14 she was 10 and she would come home and she would be like um and, and she's also she's also dyslexic so there must be something in the family and she would come home and she would tell me stories about what she learned at school and about saving the polar bears and we need to turn the lights off and i'd be a bit like what like i don't understand this because she went to a school that's very different it teaches in a different way i like, I don't un- i don't understand it so we would sort of sit down we'd have discussions and over the years she sort of taught me a lot about uh sustainability and sustainability mission as to how we need to sort of you know really wake up and protect and protect our environment and, and our world um and this is going back to what well, i was 14 so this is going back i'm 28 now so my maths is really bad so what's that? 14 years um I guess I think so 14 years ago I was learning about the ice caps melting and how we need to make a change and that's all partly thanks to my sister um and like I said she's a selectic as well so I think that her storytelling and her way of of sharing of sharing what she believes and what she knows plays a big part in the brand for sure and also
1: you have mentioned your uh most recent debut collection and having done some reading about it you Uh, have very much spoken about how it has very neutral colours and how a lot of it's very um, athleisure-related in terms of the styles. Could you perhaps tell us just a bit more about the creative process behind it and perhaps why you wanted to make your first collection quite
2: neutral-coloured? Sure. Um, I also have a Scandinavian heritage, um, being from Denmark. And I feel that the Scandinavian eye and the Scandinavian design process is very minimalistic. Um, and I guess I sort of grew up with that within my house. Um, you know, sort of the 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 decor and the interior would be very minimal. It would be a couple of sort of like plant pots and a couple of vases um, that looked good on the eye, but didn't make too much of a statement. Um, and I feel that that's played a big part in what I do um and i also didn't want you know when when a new brand comes out i think that if you just sort of plaster the brand name over it people aren't as res- as, as responsive people don't give it as much attention um so i wanted to tell a story i wanted people to to come away and, and think what is who what what is debut like what what is the brand behind that um and so, to so the brand name is sort of very discreet. It's on the recycled polyester labels only on, on the sort of shoulder blades on the back and also on the hip on the front. Um, and that was, that was my vision of, of, of creating this collection. Like I said, I don't, I didn't want it to just sort of be stand out in your face. Uh, I really wanted people to see it and how, and think for themselves and doing maybe a bit of research. I know that nowadays you can sort of go on your phone, you can go on Google and you can find an answer straight away. Um, but. That to me isn't a good thinking process. Um, I want, you know, I want people to engage in something and not just have the answer at the tip of their fingers. Um, and that is sort of why I, why I went down that route.
0: Other than the ice caps, what was the reason why you decided to make the brand sustainable? And how does this impact your daily work?
2: I think that nowadays when you see uh, things like fast fashion, it Really does make people stop and think about what they're consuming and where they're buying from and how much they're buying. I think that brands that are now being called out on greenwashing, it's mm-hmm. rightly so that this is happening because if you go onto I won't say the brand, but if you go onto one of these brands' website, I have been called out, and you go onto their sustainability section in quotation marks they've got I, I believe it's over 3000 items all mixed with polyester all mixed with unsustainable viscose um all mixed you know it, it will say a sustainability range and it will say organic cotton but really they've used 20% organic cotton 80% polyester polyester is a plastic um and if you're making but ver- more and more virgin virgin polyester you're creating more emissions and then by the time it comes to its end of lifespan, which isn't very long when you're wearing fast fashion and when it's cheaply made, you're, you're, you're producing so much waste um, and the polyester is never going to, never going to degrade. Um, so I wanted to ensure that I was while, while making a brand, I want to ensure that the brand value and ethos had the right, had the right uh, credentials. So while the products have cost me a lot of money to make because of the materials that are used, because of my supply chain, it's made that way for a reason. Um, it's easy to look at a price tag and make a judgment and be like, "That's expensive," but when you see the work that's gone on behind the scenes, from from the sort of design process to the transportation process to the way that people are looked after within the supply chains, so the materials used, you know, it, it it all warrants that sort of that sort of higher end price, in my opinion.
1: Yeah absolutely I completely agree with you in terms of um you know how people can sometimes look at a price tag it being too high and then they're automatically put off um because I think people are very much programmed at the current uh at the current stage to think in a very fast fashion consumerism way however that is changing as you also mentioned and I think as well if something has a higher price tag that also means that it's going to last you longer um which is great um I think it would also be very interesting to hear from you um, how one of your dreams is to create workshops and spaces for individuals who struggle at school. It would be very interesting to hear what that looks like in your mind.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, going to school, um, I I, I enjoyed school. Um, I had fun. I made some good friends, Um, but I didn't necessarily learn a lot. And I didn't necessarily achieve anything, Um, which sort of when I look back, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of a bit, a, a bit sad in a way. I guess you know, I went to school for for sort of sixteen years of my life, and I left school with one GCSE, Um and I feel that people and kids nowadays there's such a different way of doing things, and you know, with the modern world and how we all live, and I feel that if there is, if there's someone with a talent and a gift for creating, whether you know anything within the arts, whether that be music, whether that be fashion, whether that be painting, I feel that these people need to be given a chance and allow their creativity and their talents to be harnessed and shaped. Um, you know, coming into this industry, like I mentioned before, I don't, I, I don't have any contacts, I didn't know anyone, I didn't know much about the industry. I sort of researched it off my back, and now I'm trying to build my trying to build my contacts and and you know sort of share share the story. And I think that if, if people can be given that sort of leg up, who have been to school, didn't go to uni, um but have that talent and can sort of come into into the brand and the community of no one sure anything, and we can help enhance their designs. We can help get them print ready we can help get them to manufacturing we can help get them along the right lines of where they want to be in terms of their connections um i feel that that's so important because when you come out of university and you've got your first or you've got your two one or whatever it might be in your degree you can show that to employers you can show that to, to, to the perspective industry that you want to get into but whereas when, you, when you're sort of a creative and you're not and you're not academically wired that way you don't have anyone to to sort of give you that leg up, and I think that that's really important to do. And I think that that's really important to help shape the future of 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 create of the creativity within within the UK and within Europe and within the world.
0: Would you just be looking for this to be in a fashion sense, or in like a more general anything outside of academia?
2: Anything that comes across as as creative Um, so yeah i mean whether that be in whether that be in the fashion space whether that be in photography whether that be in in painting or art whatever it might be you know i'm I'm a bit i'm also a big music lover and music is another one of my passions Um, but i know that may you know i've I've spent hours and years trying to make music um on like my, my laptop or whatever and it's a very very hard skill and I feel that there's a lot of talented musicians out there who spend hours and hours learning their, learning their software and learning their trade and, you know, learning how to play the piano. And they can put a track out on YouTube and Spotify or uh, SoundCloud and it might not get anywhere. And for me, that's a shame. And I feel like if someone's got that genuine raw talent, it really needs to sort of be really needs to sort of be harnessed and um, and, and put put out put out there to to the public and to the masses to be able to respect and appreciate that that specific creative talent
0: one thing that we always talk about with fashion brands in particular sustainable fashion brands is how you ensure that your supply chain is sustainable how do you do that
2: so like i mentioned I've, i've been to portugal um i know exactly who i'm working with whether that be the, you know, the managing director all the way through to the to the junior seamstress who's on, who's on their first day at work. Um, I've been there, I've seen it. I've been on, the, been on the manufacturing floor. I've spoken to these people. And for me, sustainability isn't just about materials. It isn't just about recycling. Um, it's about looking after this, this human race. Um, sustainability, in my opinion, is much like the food chain, um, or evolution whereby it's got sort of three layers and at the beginning of of that layer is is nature then it moves into materials and then it moves into human beings with human beings being at the top of that chain and if we're not looking after humans by paying fair and living wages if we're not looking after humans by ensuring that they can carry on growing crops and and making them uh, and making the garments then realistically fashion isn't going to get anywhere um, and if humans aren't paid fair living wages, they're never going to be able to improve their local environments. Um, you know, such as things like healthcare, such as things like making sure that countries have renewable energy and moving away from fossil fuels. Uh, there's so much more to sustainability than sort of just making sure that your your products are made from sustainable materials. And I think that's a really important factor. Um, and then you've also got, you know, when you're buying things like organic cotton uh you want to make sure that you've got the certificates for it you want to make sure that you've got the certificates for it from the global recycle standard you want to make sure that you know where your cotton is coming from you want to make sure that you can see everything and that everything sort of has that 360 that 360 degree vision to it because otherwise you don't know you, you don't know the sort of Where it's coming from in the ins and outs, which is, again, why I chose Portugal, um, because I know that they're very transparent and they're very open and they're very honest with inviting their customers to be able to come and see the manufacturing sites and facilities.
1: Also, just on the topic of supply chains, inevitably, when you're manufacturing something, regardless of how sustainable it is, there's still an output. And yep. that also then applies to shipping costs if you're shipping something to buyers um, or if you even if you're getting something delivered from Portugal to the UK, for example. Yeah. Um, do you have a pro- do you have a program um, in place at the moment or perhaps is this something that you're looking into implementing implementing later down the line um, of carbon offsetting and perhaps tracking um, those emissions a bit more closely?
2: Sure. Uh, someone actually asked me a couple of weeks back and said, if someone was to do an audit on no one sure anything and um, sustainability, where, where do you think you would stack up uh, in terms of like a percentage? And I said, I reckon about 95%. And the reason why I can't say it's 100% is because of things like transportation. Um, now, I think that, you know, I know that UPS have a carbon offset uh, delivery method. Uh, Royal Mail claim that they're one of, uh, in terms of carbon emissions and offsetting carbon emissions for, for deliveries. But I think that when it comes to things like this, you have, to look away, you, you have to look away from the brand and you have to look more, you know, I'm a tiny brand. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a microorganism in, in the sort of sphere of business and, and companies. And I'm working with the likes of UPS to ensure that I can get my products delivered to me. Um, I will often deliver by road from portugal into the uk because it's a lot less um it's a lot less fuel guzzling than 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 than, uh, than air than air freight but you have to sort of also look at these companies such as ups that they have such big infrastructure they have such big resources and they have so much money that ultimately they need to be providing a service for their customers to be able to use their services in an environmentally eco-friendly way um, you know a company like UPS and FedEx that they've got so much more money than, than, than start fashion brands, for example. So I don't think that it's necessarily fair to, I'm not saying that you guys have, by the way, but I don't think it's necessarily fair for for people and media to criticize brands that are doing the right thing in terms of supply chain and production. But then when it comes to transportation, they're getting criticized because it can't ultimately be their fault. They have the, the buck has to kind of stop with the with the courier companies, with the delivery companies, because they're the ones who can implement the change. They're the ones who've got finances to do that.
0: I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, but I think definitely there needs to be pressure, more pressure on these companies also, which ultimately, unfortunately, does come from the consumer. So as much as they need to take the responsibility and make the change, it is also unfortunately down to us to pressurize them into doing this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, if we if, if the public all had a voice and all, all mentioned this to the likes of UPS and FedEx, et cetera, that what they're doing is wrong, especially especially when you're seeing things like the, the, the crisis within within the fuel costs, whereby fuels going up so much and surely their profits are coming down. So surely now is the time for them to look into renewables and to look into start to, to, to develop sort of hydrogen planes or something along those lines. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a I'm not scientist, um, but I feel like there is the technology there now to start really implementing it and, and cutting, cutting carbon emissions down a lot, reducing the percentage of the emissions that are being used. And yeah, I mean, the consumers can definitely have a voice but it's it's so difficult to get through to these companies, and again, it's so difficult for these companies to change their practices because I think that, again, I think UPS have more planes than than British Airways, um, and they employ so many people, and they employ so many people across the globe. And you know, while we can put the pressure on, and do I do have the I do have the sort of understanding of how hard it must be to implement a change so quickly. Um, But there is a hundred percent there's a need to do it. It's just how are these companies going to shape up and do that?
1: Great. Thank you so much for joining us, Jake. This has been a very interesting discussion. Um to all of our listeners, we will include links to No One True Anything in the description of this podcast. And we will also tag them in all of our socials. So please make sure to check them out. And please make sure to follow Sustainability Speaks on all of our socials and follow our Spotify as well. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.